0: Father, uh, we do, we look forward tonight to Lord what you're gonna teach us and and Lord, I, I'm i excited. I'm excited about this letter uh, to the church at Philippi and God just watching Paul pour his heart out to these people and uh, just just the feelings that he has for them, the encouragement he has for them and now Lord, we're kind of hitting the end. We're, we're in this last chapter sort of starting to wrap things up and God, I pray that as we look at these things, once again, we wouldn't, we wouldn't just look at them and say, oh, that was happening to that church and we don't really care or those individuals. But Lord, I pray that we could take what, what's written here and make it applicable to our lives. So I do pray you would be glorified in this time, but mostly, Lord, that we would be encouraged and strengthened and built up and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the things that can break down a church or a community or a nation is disunity. Kind of interesting that we're hitting that tonight and we look at our world right now and we have never been so divided and divide and, and and on opposite polar ends of everything. It's just like, it's blown my mind. It's like, Man, can't we agree on one thing in the world, and there's so much aggravation and so much animosity going on. And yet, in the church, that happens. In the church at Philippi, that happened. And Paul, here's what I love, man, Paul hit it head on. He didn't mess around with it, he hit it head on. But I love the way he starts, because he starts with this idea, hey, here's who we are in Christ, and if you remember, as we were reading, and, and this is where it's kind of sad with chapter and, and verse breaks, as we were reading, he was talking about the fact of, of that who they are in Christ, and what will happen when Christ comes, that their bodies will be transformed, that it'll be a glorious day, and he's writing all of that and encouraging them in that, and as he continues, because it's, it's a bad chapter break. As he continues there, he says, Therefore, my beloved, in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and my crown. So I just want to stop there. look at the, Look at the adjectives he uses when he speaks about these people in Philippi. He's got, you can tell his heart, right? You can tell, man, they gripped his heart. And remember he was there for a while. Remember how he planted that church. He only ended up in Philippi because the man from Macedonia was calling him. Philippi's part of that Macedonia. He gets there, and, and again, if you, you were supposed to read chapter 16 for Thessalonians, but you should have read it for, for Philippi too. Remember when he got there? The only people he found were Lydia and her crew praying at the river and he shared with them and the church kind of just sprang up from there. Then it's, it's interesting this and we're gonna, we're gonna get more in depth but you had women there that started the church. Then the thing that caused the chaos was he delivered that slave girl from a demon and then the people got upset, beat him and put him in jail. But listen to what he calls that church. He says, first of all, my beloved And my longed for. Listen, Paul wanted to be there, man. He wanted to be with them and he loved them. I don't think it's just words. I don't think he's just like, like saying, oh, my beloved. I think it's like coming from his heart. And he says, listen, he says, you're my joy and my crown. As I was reading some commentaries, some of the commentaries were talking about, as he would say that, that, oh, of course they were his crown because he shared the gospel there and he got saved. I don't think that's what he's talking about. And he's talking about, man, he loves them that much that, uh, first of all, they bring him joy because of their response, and then the fact that, hey, man, you guys are like I'm wearing a crown, and again, he's talking about the crown that the athletes would get during the Olympics, uh, and he's saying, man, how great it is, he loved them, and then here's what he says, he says, because that's who you are, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I love this, Listen. We are going to be changed when he comes. I think we all agree on that, right? We're going to be changed. I kind of like the idea. We're not going to get this body revamped. We're going to be changed. I don't want this body Right? Someone put it this way. I love it. One guy put it this way a long time ago. He, w- he said, That's like, you know, getting this body just revamped is like taking a, uh, those of you who remember metal garbage cans, the galvanized garbage cans that always got dented up, right? They were bent and dented and nasty and dirty. He says, It's like taking one of those, pounding the debts out, doing a steam clean in it, and painting it with metal flake paint. You still got a garbage can right? That would be our bodies just kind of revamped. Hey, we get new bodies, right? And that's going to happen. So here's what Paul says, because of that, you and I and them, we need to stand firm. We need to take a stand. Don't let the world or the devil or your flesh rob you of what you have in Jesus Christ, And again, as we think about our world's chaotic and messed up and and things are happening and and listen, I hear all of that and I can get caught up in that or I can stop and say, wait a minute, I'm gonna stand firm. I'm gonna stand firm in the Lord. All of that can crumble, but I still got Jesus. Jesus. And they can't take Jesus, so so listen man, obviously they're fighting something and something's coming. So it's not just, listen, it's not just standing fast, it's standing fast in the Lord. Now I found a few scriptures that kinda said the same thing. I put them up there, you can look all these up. Are you kinda getting the idea that we maybe have a little bit of a trouble standing fast? Of being firm and being solid? I don't think it would be repeated that often if we didn't have an issue and, and we didn't have a difficult time with it. So just like the church at Philippi, just like the church at Corinth, just like the church in Galatians and Ephesus and Colossians and Thessalonica and the church in general that Peter's writing to, just like them, we need, that, we need to heed that command. We gotta stand firm and that's, listen, That's how we are going to have victory. So when he says that, notice the first thing that he addresses, and this is what blows my mind. Look at the first thing he addresses after he calls them to stand firm. He says, I implore Euodia and I implore Sentechi to be of the same mind in the Lord. Finally, finally we find out what's going on in Philippi. Listen, it's been kind of this undertone of there's something going on in Philippi that's not quite right. And here's, here's as you work through this letter, here's what you begin to realize. It's not doctrinal. They're not like messing up doctrinal or you would address that right away. And they're not even, listen, they're not even like walking away from the faith. What, and I don't know about you guys, but as you read the letter, you're going, what's going on there? There's some underlying the way Paul would write, the things he would say, the things he would say like, we need to be humble towards one another. Where did that come from? Why did you say that? Don't think of yourself so highly, but remember who you are. Why is he saying that? Oh, it's because of these two ladies. It's because of Euodia, and, and here's what sort of blows my mind. I feel bad for them. Their names were written down for all generations to read. This is what you don't want to do. Obviously, listen, obviously there was some discord between them. And then I want us to recognize something. I don't think, listen, I don't think it was some huge mega thing. I think there was just discord. You know, kind of the mumbling. And here's what Paul recognizes. If we do not take care of that, it is going to destabilize the entire church. We need to think about that when we kind of get a little bit of about somebody. And we need to realize that when we get involved in the about somebody. And we need to understand that could destabilize everything God is doing. And I don't think in the 21st century, we're any different than the church in the first century. As a matter of fact, I think it's a little bit worse because we have so many other things that can and make us blow it, right? We have, you know, I'm thinking of the standing firm and I think of what's going on with them. I'm thinking of social media. You know, sometimes I wish social media would just and just go away, you know, and and, uh, Although I'm not on much of it anymore, I kind of I kind of started. Huh? Get this. I'm fasting from social media. What a joke! I hear guys say that, and I go, "You're what? Like I'm not doing social media right now. I'm not fasting. Like, isn't it crazy how we want to spiritualize things? Well, I'm gonna fast from social media. No, you're just gonna quit doing it for a while. You're not fasting. So, so. Listen, we have all of that going on and we need to realize when we get involved with disgruntled people and we join them, we're destabilizing what God is doing. And here's what I want you to understand. He didn't say, notice he didn't say, I implore Euodia and Sentichi. He said, I implore Syntyche and Euodia. He said, or I'm sorry, I implore euodia and I implore sentient. So here's the thing. He wasn't taking sides. He wouldn't say one was right and one was wrong. He says, you know what? Here's what he's saying. You're both wrong and you both need to get it together and you both need to work it out. Now, I, listen, again, I think that's pretty intense. Now, listen, we're reading this, you know, 2,000 years later, give or take. Imagine, Imagine if... Timothy or somebody showed up with this letter and you're all sitting there and you're reading all this other stuff and you're kind of getting the undertone, but you're going, it's cool, it's cool. And then all of a sudden, you get to verse two of chapter four and you're Euodia and Syntyche and your name comes out, you're gonna like slither out the door, right? It's like, ouch. But I love that Paul dealt with it head on. And if there's one thing, listen, one thing that like just hurts a pastor and, and kind of is an aggravating thing, not, not in a sense of aggravating towards, but it's just, is watching people start bickering at each other and people start disagreeing. And then just how that, listen, how quickly that starts spreading and destabilizing the church. So look at what he says. He implores those two. and here's what I love. He says, listen, I want you to be, check this out, like-minded. Paul doesn't say that too often, right? Because I don't think we should all be thinking the same thing. I think we need to be unified, but but that doesn't mean we need to be people who are uniform and always doing the same thing. But here he's saying, I want you to be like-minded. Now listen how he qualifies that. I want you to be like-minded in the Lord. I want you to have the like-mind in the Lord. I want you to remember who you are, whose you are, and what that means in your life. You too need to quit this bickering and get it together and start moving forward so the church can move forward. Have you ever thought that maybe your bickering, if you're bickering, I'm not, I don't wanna like and somebody going, wow, why are you talking about me? Might affect the whole church. Have you ever thought about that? What I'm involved in could be affecting what God is doing in, in our church? Because we're all in this together, right? And we gotta understand that. And so, listen. And then, and then here's what I love. He says, "So listen, I want you two ladies to figure this thing out, and get it together, and be like-minded in the Lord." And then he says, "I urge you also, true companion." Now, listen, man. I read "true companion," and and I'm thinking, who is this true companion? He doesn't tell us. Now, some people say it, it's actually. They think it's the, it's the term, the Greek term, Zuzagos, And someone said, well, I think it's a proper name. Who on earth would name their kid Zuzugos? <laughs> right? But maybe somebody. We name our kids weird things, don't we? And so I'm, I'm thinking just the way it's worded because, because just the way he says it, I urge you, Zuzugos. So maybe it is a proper name. Someone said, well, you could manipulate a little bit. Maybe, but I think he's talking about an individual. And I think, here's the thing. Even if it's not a proper name, everybody knows who he's talking about. Everybody in Philippi knows. We may not know. Everybody in Philippi knew exactly who he was talking about as he wrote this letter. And he says, listen, I urge you, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Check out what Paul's saying they were involved in what he was doing. They were very involved in the church. I read when I read this. Here's what I get. They were instrumental in this church being born and going forward, which is a good thing. And he says, "Man, listen. I want you, Zeusagos, to get involved in their lives and to help them because they labored so diligent with me. They were part of it." And it, you know, it kind of breaks my heart when when we so easily separate and I'm talking about spiritually in our world today because listen, man, it's easy. I may say something to you, somebody else may say something to you, I may say something from the pulpit you don't like, and it's easy. You just go down the street, there's another church. Just walk away. Don't work things out. Why would we do that? I'm being sarcastic. Why would we want to talk with each other and try and figure it out? Let's just go someplace else. That's our culture today. And it's sad, it's heartbreaking. Now, here's the good thing. These two ladies didn't have someplace else to go. There was only one church in Philippi. And so now he's saying, hey, faithful companion, you, Zuzigos, go help them. Help them because they labored with me. They were involved in the very gospel that we preached. And then he does bring up somebody. Listen, with Clement also, here's the thing he's saying. Get Clement involved. Now, once again, we're going, who on earth is Clement? Don't know. It's funny how I always enjoy reading commentaries when they begin speculating. And I'm thinking, why are we going way down this trail? Three different commentaries were thinking this might be Clement of Rome later on. There was a Clement of Rome. But that was later on. And he was part of, he's one of the church fathers. If you study the early church fathers, and he was one of those guys. I don't think he's that guy because, number one, he's not in Rome, he's in Philippi. So he's not hanging out in Rome. This guy's in Philippi, and Clement was a very popular name, much like Mary. So, listen, it's a Clement, and once again, we don't need to know, but they knew. They knew. The minute he mentioned the faithful companion, even if it was that, that true companion, oh, by the way, there's a lot of people who think true companion is Luke. That Luke, if you, if you go through Acts, Luke wasn't with Paul during this time frame. So it could have been, but that's, uh, don't go down that road. Come back. Right, so listen, you have this Clement who we don't know, but he says, listen, I want you, faithful companion or true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I read, listen, I read verse three and here's what I'm reading. The whole church needs to get involved in this issue because this issue is affecting the whole church. Now, some of you may go, well, maybe it wasn't very big at the time. I don't know how big it was. I don't care. You can have a big church. You can have a little church. You can have a mega church, and a little bit of disunity is going to begin to crumble that church. You can have a really large country called the United States of America, and that disunity begins to crumble everything that's good, and we need to understand that. Once again, we don't need to be people who villainize everybody who doesn't agree with us, and that's the problem we have right now. Hey, if you don't agree with something, I say, that's fine, that's your prerogative. I'm not gonna villainize you, but man, we're not doing that today. You don't agree with me, you're a villain. And we need to stop it, because here's what it's doing. It's going from the world into the church, and we're not standing firm anymore. So he calls out the two ladies and tells the whole church along with Zuzagos. I like that. You know, I always told my wife, it's a good thing we weren't saved when we had our daughter because no telling what her name would have been. Like, I I think it would be interesting to name your son Zuzagos as he goes to school. So anyway... You have Zizigos and you have Clement and you have the whole church. Let's get these two ladies on the right path. And you know what? I believe it's our collective responsibility to talk to people when they're doing that. Just have a conversation with them. You don't have to villainize them. Oh, well, look what he says. Listen, here's how we do it. Check this out. Oh, we're not there yet. So... Listen, he tells him to do that. I'll give, you, I'll give you the key in a minute. But verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord. Again I will say, rejoice. Now I left a word out. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. What does always mean? Always. Always. Even when things are falling apart. Now, now let's let's kind of get into this, right? Let's jump into our Bibles for a minute. Where was Paul? Prison. Paul was at the point in prison where he didn't know if he was going to be alive tomorrow or not. And the guy who's facing death is saying what? Rejoice? Listen carefully. He's not saying rejoice, period. What's he saying? Rejoice in the Lord. Right? We cannot, listen, there are times we will never rejoice in our circumstance, but in that circumstance, we can rejoice in the Lord, And he doesn't give us an out. Listen, we're never not to rejoice in the Lord. He says rejoice in the Lord always. That means highs and lows. That means difficult times. That means good times. That means the world's falling apart times. That means the world's coming together times. We rejoice in the Lord always. And listen, that's a difficult one because we hit circumstances and we allow our circumstances to drive our emotions. Because we're people, we're emotional beings. And I think it's silly to say you're not gonna get emotional about something. God made us that way. God made us emotional beings. He made us to be happy, he made us to be sad. He made us beings that will grieve and he made us beings that will will celebrate. And all of that's okay. Even when you're grieving, you can still rejoice in the Lord because it's in him and it's what you have in him. Do you ever just stop and think about who you are in Christ and just what that means? I don't know about you guys. I wake up and I look in the mirror. I'm amazed I'm saved because I'm not a great saint. Like I don't do everything right. I don't walk every day in sinless perfection. Maybe some of you do. God bless you. I come hang out with you for a while. (laughs) But I look in the mirror. I'm amazed that God would save me knowing where I came from, knowing the things I said, knowing the things I even said about God before I got saved. Why would he save me? Because he loves me unconditionally. And then I begin to rejoice in that. Woo, he loves me. (laughs) Even in the mirror sometimes, he loves you right there, you. He loves you and you can in the midst of difficult in the midst of heartbreak in the midst of pain you rejoice in the lord you know in our weekly prayer meetings we have for men and women we always spend some time opening that prayer meeting just thanking god and we'll talk about that when we get to the prayer time just thanking him because he's god so listen, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will tell, say rejoice. You know why he said rejoice in the Lord always, and then he said, again, I will say rejoice? Because I think if he would have just said rejoice in the Lord always, I think some people would go, a little delirious there, are you, Paul? Because you're in prison, why would you write something like that? So he wants to make sure they know, he knows exactly what he's saying. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it one more time, rejoice in the Lord, right? And then he says, now here's the key how we, how we deal with difficult things. Verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. So here's what he's saying. You and I need to let our gentleness Be known to everybody. So when we're correcting somebody, be gentle about it. I wrote this down because it's interesting, that original word, here's what it can mean. This gets kind of crazy because every translation almost has that word different. It can mean forbearance, yieldedness, geniality, kindliness, gentleness, sweet reasonableness, I like that. Wouldn't it be good to write, Let your sweet reasonableness be known to all. That sounds almost like a 60s term. (laughs) Considerateness, charitableness, magnanimity, and generosity. So you're getting the idea what what exactly. It's It's not just being gentle. It's being all of those things. And he says, let that be known to all. What is he saying? When we approach people... That should be emanating from us. All of that, those, those different synonyms, that, that should be emanating from us and it should be known to everyone. People should, should be able to tell. Do you know a few people when you see them kind of coming towards you going, oh no. I know nobody in here. I'm not talking about in the church. You guys don't believe me. Are there people in the church you don't want to see? Come on. Is there a euodia and synergy here that we need to? But listen, and then are there people that you know they're going to just defuse situations? They have that calmness, that gentleness about them, and you're just like, man, I like hanging out with them because I'm hoping some of that rubs off on me and comes on me. Let that be known to all. Here's what Paul's saying. We have a difficult thing to deal with in Philippi a really difficult thing. And I'm gonna name the two ladies in case anybody doesn't know who I'm talking about. And I'm gonna name those two ladies and I want you Ghost, and I want you Clement and I want the whole church involved and I want you to rejoice always in the Lord but when we take care of this, let your gentleness be known to all. Wow, wow, I mean this is pretty powerful when you think about it, right? Doesn't it almost make you wanna deal with situations in a good way. Have you been involved in people's life and been able to defuse some things and you knew when you walked away from that that the Lord had done a great work, not you? That he had done something that you know you couldn't have accomplished. So man, listen, man, he's pouring that out and, and I love that. Now he gets to the phrase that a lot of us know by heart, we memorize it, we hang on to it. And he says, be anxious for nothing But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the big one, right? That's the one, man, we wanna glom onto and I don't know about you guys, but I try and hang on to this. Now, I Googled anxiety just before I came out here. I Googled anxiety. I got 284 million hits in 0.08 seconds. Tell me that's not something that's affecting our society in a huge way, 284 million articles on the internet, on anxiety. I think it makes COVID look like a mild cold. But yet we're not talking about that, are we? We don't wanna talk, talk about mental health because you can't put a mask on mental health. You can't, and and listen, man, we're ignoring that. As, As I was doing that, I thought, how come we're so obsessed with germs, but we're not obsessed with these people who are hurting in ways that we can't even imagine? How do we deal with anxiety? How do we deal with that? I think there's a clinical anxiety that I'm not gonna get involved in because I'm not a doctor. But here's what I know, all of us get anxious. And here's what, here's what I love, just the way he starts out, I love this, be anxious for nothing. You know what nothing is? You can't, you can't define nothing, right? Because the minute you put something in, nothing, it's no longer nothing, now it's something. So you can't define it, so nothing is nothing. And here's what he's saying, here's what Paul's saying, we should never be anxious. And I read that and I go, huh, easy for you to say, prison man. (laughs) Right? It's hard not to be anxious. And again, I'm thinking, dude, he's sitting in prison getting ready to be killed, and he goes, hey guys, don't be anxious for nothing. That must mean something that he's living. Usually you don't spurt things out that you're not living, right? So be anxious for nothing. And then here's what I says. Here's what I says. Here's what I like. (laughs) Listen listen what it says. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Oh, instead of being anxious about things, I need to be a man or woman of prayer, I need to understand this, instead of getting all anxious about things that I can't control and I can't take care of and I can't work out, maybe I need to give them to the one who can take care of them, who can work them out. And I need to go to the Lord in prayer. Now, someone once asked because he says, notice he says, but in everything by prayer. Here's what I love, man. You talk about a guy on extremes, you don't be anxious for anything anxious for nothing, but in everything. You know what everything is? Everything. Everything in your life. And listen, I love this. Someone once asked, uh, this is G. Campbell Morgan. A lady came up to G. Campbell Morgan, and, and he's an old dead guy, by the way. And she came up and said, Dr. Morgan, do you think we should pray about little things in our lives? It's a good question, right? And because he's British, and in his British manner, here's what he said. Madam, can you mention anything in your life that is big to God? Oh oh, 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 well, when you put it that way, right? I mean, I don't think we bring things to God and he goes, whoa, Wow! I think I can handle that. I love that. Listen, man, I, I love that quote. You just stop and think about. I told a friend of mine, one time, I said, I, I pray about things. Sometimes I pray about what to wear. And he goes, oh, you're so, you're foolish. Do you really think God cares about what you wear? My Bible says to pray about everything. Oh, he doesn't care. That's just, you know, and, and it's funny how we can, we can begin to, you know, get in these things and, and we can begin to justify, well, I don't pray about that. I think God cares about what we wear. I think he cares about everything in our life. If he didn't, he wouldn't have died on the cross and he wouldn't want that, that intimate relationship with me. And in, in, in what book are we in? Philippians. He wouldn't tell me to pray about everything, right? So I love that. Listen, so don't be anxious, but pray. Now. I was gonna read this, but I'll let you look it up. You gotta look up Matthew chapter six when Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount. Well, let me begin to read it to you, right? Because it's the same thing. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What is he telling us? Don't worry about anything, right? Worry about no. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you nor, not more valuable to them than them? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither and they neither. Nor spin, And yet, I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things." but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is the trouble. Quit worrying. Don't be anxious, but pray, and pray about everything. Now, I like the idea that he says what? He says, by He says, do not be anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication, uh, present your request or your yeah yeah present your request uh, or with thanksgiving. Present your request made known to God. So prayer, listen, prayer is the idea of a general general things that we pray about. Supplication is getting more specific, and I think there, so we need to be very specific to God. And I think it's good. Hey, I think it's good to ask God for things. Ask God about things. Now, generally, God will tell you no. We don't accept that. Here's what always cracks me up. People go, well, God didn't answer my prayer. I go, yes, he did. He said no. But we're so used to when our parents say no. Oh, come on, you didn't mean no, did you? You didn't really mean no. And then we try and wear our parents down to where they'll say yes. And we think God's the same way. So we pray about something. God says no. We go, you didn't really mean that. And I remember as a young Christian hearing older Christians say, they look back in their life and they see the things that God said no to and they're so thankful. Now I'm an old Christian and I look back at my life and I'm so glad that God said no. Right, so listen, I believe he answers our prayer but he says, listen, so you pray generally, you get specific with supplication with thanksgiving. It's so important to give God thanks for what we have and who we are in Christ. Again, when we, we do our prayer meetings, that's how we open them up. Just a time of thanking God for being who he is and for what he's done for us. And then, let your requests be made unto God. Talk to God. It always cracks me up when people go, I don't know how to pray. Here's what I say, do you know how to talk? Just. Praying is just talking to God. But we get this kind of idea that we have to be all formal and I really, I'm sorry if I'm offending somebody, but God's not all about King James language. Some people pray in King James and I'm thinking, seriously? Like they'll talk to you normal and then they'll go, oh thou most, you know, sufficient, sovereign of the universe. Why don't you just say, hey God? Right? It's like, You don't have to be all flowery. You don't have to be that. You know what my favorite prayer in the Bible is? My favorite, favorite prayer is this. Help, Lord. Remember when Peter's sinking? uh, What does he do? He goes, help, Lord. And Jesus says, I wonder if he's really sincere. Think he really needs that? I I didn't detect sincerity in his voice. What did Jesus do? He grabbed him. Come on. We think we have to be all that, and God, listen. Just present your request to God, and listen. Let them be made known, and He will tell you yes or no. It's okay, and I think it's okay. I think it's okay to ask God for things. That's what my Bible says. I ask Him for things, and I'm kind of I'm I'm one of those people. I think big, so I ask God for big things, and He goes, "You're out of your mind." Patrick. He calls me Patrick at those times. So, what, are you crazy, Patrick? No. I've shared before how much when we wanted to move into town, I would, I would ask God for this place or that place and different places, and, and I would go, and I would ask people to give us things. Could you give us your building? generally i didn't have to hear from god no they told me no so it was like a you know the shortcut but listen make your request known to god and listen what he says saints if we will be praying people and again praying people doesn't mean you walk around like this or you get all flowery you're just a person who you're talking to god and you you don't need to close your eyes and bow your head especially if you're driving or something it's not a good idea but you're just talking to God, right? And then listen to what he says. Don't be, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what happens? What happens? The peace of God, listen to what he says here. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Quit being anxious, what Jesus said. Why are you worrying? You can't, all the, things, all the things we worry about, we can't fix, and then we worry about that. I love, years ago, I read about a guy who was walking along, he's all happy, carefree, and he goes, and his friend goes, what happened, man, you used to be consumed about worrying about stuff. And he goes, I, I hired somebody to worry for me. I don't worry anymore. And he goes, you hired somebody to worry for you? He goes, yeah. And he goes, how much does that cost? And he says, $10,000 a day. He says, you're paying some guy $10,000 a day to worry for you? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, where are you gonna get that money? He goes, I don't know, that's his problem. (laughs) Now, I don't think that's the solution. I think we should not worry, but pray and let the peace of God, the peace of God rule our hearts. If there's ever a time, listen, if there's ever a time we need to understand that, it's our generation right now. All of this stuff going on, all the chaos, all the, all the villainization of everybody that doesn't agree with everybody, and all, everything, counterculture, all, uh, cancel culture, all this stuff going on, we need to pray. And we need to be a people that when we pray, we realize the peace of God is going to, to get a hold of me. Now listen, when he says, when he says, and I don't think he, you know, the peace of God which surpasses un, all understanding. Have you, ever, have you ever walked through something that you never dreamt you would walk through it and you have a peace? And people come and go, that doesn't make sense. Right now you should be falling apart. Why do you have peace? Well, because I have the peace of God that surpasses logic and understanding. It's not my peace, it's his peace. It's not something I'm working up emotionally. It's something that he puts deep down in me. Because he says we'll guard your hearts and minds. Listen, he's not talking about two different organs. Here's what he's saying. If you do this, God will guard your entire being, your all your innards and all of the things that you get emotional about, he will guard those. And I like the idea that you have this sentry standing before you that's not going to let that stuff come in, not going to let that stuff bother you. He's guarding and making sure you're okay. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I read this part, and here's what I'm thinking. We started out with stand firm in the Lord. Stand fast. Don't cave in. And then we described a little bit of things that can really disrupt the church. Then he gets into the whole thing about, Let's be a praying people. I think it was G. Campbell Morgan. He's kind of a a great guy for quotes. I think it was him. Might have been D.L. Moody. One of those old dead guys. They said, you know, there's a phrase that prayer changes things. But they said, I like to think of it more this way. Prayer changes me. Mm. Yeah, prayer changes me. And as I give things over to God, I get a whole new perspective of what's going on. So, if your name tonight is Yodia or Senshichi, get it together. Stop it. Get it together. And listen, let's be a praying church. And uh, listen, a praying church doesn't mean we're always gonna gather together in a group. We can be a praying church and never be together. As individuals, here's what, here's what kind of cracks me up. For years, there were a lot of people, and I think there still are, that upset about prayer leaving school, and I get that, I don't like that. But I generally will ask them this, how often do you pray with your children? Well, I don't. Well, then why are you upset because it's not in school? i love you (laughs) but it's true isn't it let's be a praying people and praying listen at times i think we can pray all the time but there's times where we got to get still before the lord so here's what paul says let's be a church that we're unified we have a common goal that's to reach people for jesus christ And we're all going to use our giftedness. God has gifted us all in different ways, special ways, and he's going to use us in the community. And we are going to labor together to do that. And if one of us gets, if if a couple of us get like, you know, the ones who are close to them, like unplug them, right? Tell them to stop it, knock it off, and let's go forward because that will destabilize everything that we're doing. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that, Lord, you've written this portion. You've given it to us, and it's a challenge. Lord, we read this, and I think every bit of it is a challenge. It's a challenge to try and stand fast, to be firm. It's easier to cave and compromise and and go that direction, but you're calling us to take a stand in you. Not just take a stand, take a stand in you. And to do that, we have to know your heart. So in order for us to take a stand, we need to drop down to verse six and seven and we need to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we need to present our request to God. So we need to understand that and we need to work through that. And God, it's so easy to get all tangled up in our own agenda and little things that we're so upset about. And then we begin to come against anybody who might disagree with us or say something. And I pray God, I pray for Calvary Chapel Sierra Vista that we would be unified, that we would lock arms together and we would go forward and we would labor together to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to our community and that you would get the glory. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude attitude of prayer for a couple more moments. And if you are here tonight and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, even if you've come to this church for a long time, tonight is a night, today is a day of salvation. So I just wanna challenge you in that. And if you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins to come into your life, I wanna encourage you to do that right now. And what we mean by all of that is, number one, you have to recognize you're a sinner. You need to admit to God that you know you're a sinner. I think all of us know we're sinners, but it's just hard to admit to God. And then you need to ask him to forgive you. But you can be confident that he will forgive you because the Bible says that he came and died on the cross for our sins. The wages of sin is separation from God, death, and Jesus paid that penalty, and now He holds out for us this certificate that says paid in full. So grab a hold of that, and I'm going to help you do that. I'm I'm going to say a prayer. You can say it with me out loud. You can say it silently. Jesus, tonight I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now, I'm asking you to forgive my sins. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you tonight for your gift of forgiveness. And right now, I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. Tonight, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.